Alison Mahmood has previously been a guest on the show. He was on episode 8 and at the time he was working on a fintech startup which he recently shut down. Alison is now working on an AI-based chat support tool, Siren, and in this episode he fills us in on what he's been up to since we last spoke. I was running the business alongside the uni degree. Uh, I had an, actually an offer from Deloitte to spend like a year working there. And during all the interviews and everything, they told me like, hey, you can work on your business and then you can work for us half the time. And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, that sounds interesting. It'd be a good experience. So I was supposed to move to Switzerland uh, to do that. But then when I got my offer uh, with the contract, the contract specifically stated like, hey, you cannot work on other stuff. So I contacted them back and I was like, this is kind of a problem because it's the exact opposite of what we talked about, that I could work on my business. And I don't know what happened between the time when we agreed on it and when they set the contract, but suddenly they were like, yeah, no, uh, we're not doing that anymore. You would have to go full time. And I was like, yeah, sorry, no, that's, that's not happening. Uh, so I just fully focused on FAIR. Uh, then a couple of months later, because, uh, yeah, go on say this around like December, ended up like there was just starting to be a lot and a lot of work for fair especially as we were uh about to start fundraising and i realized well i'm gonna have to like meet with investors i'm gonna fly to the u.s and all this can i really do this alongside my degree which was now kind of half in person because covid it was you know starting to kind of filter out uh so i decided yeah that's just not viable uh, so i ended up getting an interruption of study uh so basically take the rest of the year out and with the plan that eventually i would come back to finish the degree uh so then I spent January and February kind of in the U.S. fundraising, trying to, you know, meeting with investors and all that. And at first, you know, because I already spoke to some of them earlier and they expressed interest, uh, it was going quite all right. Uh, but then, you know, uh, things started to go a lot worse. Uh, suddenly Ukraine hits and the economic crisis and, you know, uh, inflation starts to kind of spin out. Investors are like, hey, we were interested, but now we're like, you know, are the people who gave us the money because a lot of them were VCs are kind of more hesitant or you know if they were like larger angels they're like hey a bit more hesitant uh, and essentially what ended up happening is I left the US about two months later with none of the funding closed uh, so you know we were trying to raise about five million uh, we had pre before I went there we were talking with some people who would have committed about two to three but by the time I left it was back to zero uh, and then I was like, okay, well, let's try to focus on this. Let's try to improve like some of the metrics. Cause obviously, you know, some people were still raising. So there was something we were missing, uh, that we could have done. And so we were like, okay, let's refocus on the product. Let's make a simple MVP. Let's get more users in, try to kind of revive this and then continue raising. And we kept trying that, had some investor meetings, all that going. Uh, but then in June, so that was June of last year. Yeah, uh, I essentially ran out of money. Right. Uh, I had like, like by, by the time I paid off everything with fare, I think I had like one dollar and twenty cents left in my bank account. Oh no! <laughs> so that I just like it was like I have to shut that because I cannot afford to run this another day. Yeah. Uh, so I had to shut that down, and uh, I you know told the uni I was going to come back to do the last year, and then uh, that kind of continued from there. Yeah. I mean, that's that's such a hard decision to make, you know, because you put so much time and effort and blood, sweat and tears into it. But you're like, realistically, I need to go do this other thing now because that time is, you know, slowly going away and the money's running out type thing. I'm wondering when you decided to close FAIR and, you know, you, you finally came to that decision. What were you feeling like? Like, what were your, your thoughts? Uh, I think, like, my thoughts were very much different than how I felt because my thoughts were like this was useful yeah I learned a lot this was very good you're trying to kind of convince myself to yeah. look at it quite positively uh but to be honest and I honestly like I didn't really tell people at the time anyway because I was just mm. trying to focus on stuff but it really affected me uh mm. because if fair had closed down because like we tried the product it didn't work or somebody did send those things didn't work I think I would have been probably a bit more okay with it Mm. But having to close it down because I just ran out of money, actually, like, it, it left quite an impact uh, in how I was feeling. And I was kind of like, well, what am I going to do next? What's the play to this? Try to figure out, trying to, you know, also just trying to make some money over summer so I could, like, afford to go back to uni. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Try to sort all that out. And it was, 
like rationally i want like if someone asked and i was like well my reasoning is this it's useful i learned a lot but there yeah. was like to, to some aspect where i was like shit well yeah what do i do now yeah and what did you do next you know obviously you've wrapped everything up you've given everybody you know the, the kind of farewell speech that's you know hard to give but then you said you needed to make money from you know through that summer to get through uni so what what was your next plan of attack because i know you're an ideas man and you have ideas always floating around your head so I, I didn't actually do that much over the summer uh i ended up uh just kind of working out doing little bits here and there uh you know, I kind of spoke with my parents a lot because, you know, as I mentioned before, like they both have businesses. So I was like talking with them, like, hey, how did you do the type of process? And like, like my dad is quite, you know, when it comes to this, he's quite like, okay, this is rationale, this helped, blah, blah, blah. Hmm. And uh, normally, like, I, I feel like I would have found that very unhelpful, like, because usually when I look at it, it's like, yeah, it's how I think about it. You tell me the same thing. But like, it, uh, at that time, it was actually quite useful to like talk with him and also just like my mom's perspective on the business as well. It was quite useful. Uh, you know, I made a little bit of money here and there. You know, some other stuff came in. Uh, I actually was trying to line up a job. Uh, so I, I was trying to make it through a job because I was like, I don't really see how I can make enough to, through a business within two, three months. Otherwise, I would be running that business during uni again, mm. which at the time I really didn't want. But, you know, yeah. then here we are. I have stuff again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but essentially as uh, i had something with palantir that i was trying to line up uh but then because of like the dumbest government issues it didn't end up going through because i was supposed to be working in france right. uh and then you know little little bits here and that that kind of just put it together so that eventually i was like okay i can i can go to uni i'll i'll, I'll be okay yeah I mean, that's, that's the problem though, isn't it? When you've got that entrepreneurial spirit, sometimes when you feel a bit broken, you're like, right, I'm just going to go get a job and I'm just going to get that nice monthly little paycheck and I'm going to keep that thing going and, and, that, and that's going to do me. And then realistically, you either get to that point or you don't get to that point and that entrepreneurial itch keeps scratching. You're like, oh, but what about this? And someone just talked about that. It made me think of, you know, this type of thing. And I'm sure that's what is, you know, sort of happened to you. So I'm, I'm wondering what... What was the idea that got you, you know, back on the horse, as they say? What was the idea that got you back in the saddle? So, what actually convinced me uh, to a point where I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start something, start to, to start doing something again, is because uh, when I came home for Christmas uh, from uni, uh, I found out my dad had some quite serious health issues, and there were also some, you know, a couple of stuff going on. It like really affected me. So when I came back uh, to uni, because I ended up coming back at like 30th of December, mm. it like that all combined really kind of messed me up even more <laughs> than the yeah. summer uh and after like a week or two i was like okay yeah the, like this I, I i this is not how i work this is not okay yeah. <laughs> i kind of was quite hard on myself with it but i was like yeah this is not okay for me to be like this mm. and i was like okay well i have to start working let me start doing something and there was a friend of mine that i've been kind of talking to about like you know let's figure out some business something because he's quite interested in doing it uh, and I was like, okay, let's do it. And we ended up talking, just throwing around a bunch of ideas and, uh, it ended up landing on what, uh, well, officially it hasn't been announced yet, but what's Siren, uh, which what Siren is, is, uh, it's a, it's basically an integration for customer support, uh, right. based on some of the modern AI. So, you know, if, for example, chat GPT, how you kind of talk to it, yeah. uh, if you imagine that, but it's your customer support agent just to make that smoother, faster. And that's what we'll building now with siren okay and uh, what, what kind of role are you taking in siren are you being the cto or are you just kind of being the, the everything man for now well for now uh since we aren't even incorporated yet we're just kind of working out ourselves we're like we're now as of this week we're reaching out to people to potentially start getting some clients in on it yeah. so right now it's both of us just doing everything we can yeah and are you going back for the whole kind of venture route or are you going to go for the whole bootstrap route because there's that you know there's a, there's the two mm -hmm. two sides and they're always warring you know the bootstrap people say oh no make money on day one and support yourself and then the venture route is like no scale and grow as fast as possible and i think you you've done a bit of both and i don't know which one you prefer i think the, the way i look at this right because it's like it's a customer support tool which is like uh this is not as interesting but then like if you look at the underlying there's a lot of like ai and shit and it's just kind of cool so I looked at it as like, for right now, I just need like cash coming in and like, cause you know, I, I can, I have like a 
thousand, two thousand coming in. So I'm like, I'm okay, but it's not like I have like cash reserves, and I always like to have you know a spare cash to for stuff. So I looked at this as okay, how do we structure this so I can by the end of the year get like ideal case hundred k in, have that in a bank account, and I can then use that for whatever. So for now, it's structured to be just bootstrapped agency get like, just get cash in, and then. I do already, we've already actually talked about it with him a couple of times, ideas of like, okay, if this ends up working, we have the cash, we can then spend some of it, potentially raise some money and spin it off until into something that could potentially like scale a lot more. But for now, it's just get money in. Yeah. And you said, you, you know, you're going the kind of agency route, you're, you're taking it as a, as a view of like, right, this is going to be a, a source of income rather than a, a scale project, but you're looking to get to that point at some point. So I'm wondering, you know, from, from FAIR, what lessons are you, well, not lessons, actually, what learnings or what things you've learned are you applying to Siren now? I think the biggest thing is the approach to the product. Because uh, with FAIR, the, whole, the overall product that we kind of put together was quite complicated. Mm-hmm. And that meant that there was a lot of upfront work before we could even release any of it to anyone. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, with Siren, you know, we started on this halfway through my midterm exams so that must have been like second week of january or first week of january yeah. No, second yeah second week of january we're starting on this so like halfway through my midterm exams i'm like right to my midterms come back home call with him just to discuss it mm-hmm. uh and we were like okay let's get the practice as simple as possible as fast as possible and then we can integrate a lot more stuff so yeah there's there's parts of it like i'll retrain the entire ai to be much better at it we were like we could do this that will make a better product at one point but we can just lower the price so it's reasonable at what we're doing and then just try to get that out. So it's heavily simplifying the product, Mm -hmm. but also structure it in a way where it's like, okay, get money in and get the product. So I feel like I have somewhat, even though, you know, I I am already thinking about it, this is just about getting money in. But even if this was more of a kind of venture focused thing, Mm -hmm. I do feel like a lesson I took from Fair is, get at least some cash flow because with venture yeah. it's like yeah you can you, you can afford to not be profitable yeah but one thing i'm thinking more about is like get just get cash flow coming in and then mm-hmm. you can still you know be at a net loss and use fundraising to cover that but at least have cash coming in have a basic product have pe- more people using it yeah i mean you went from having a fintech company which is you know mostly like you said like a a, a very big monthly burn rate if not an annual burn rate that's you know crazy but it's like oh we've got a bit of runway all that kind of stuff and now you're on the i guess it's more ai side than what i would deem it to be a SaaS tool but you know ai and SaaS are very interlinked at the moment but i'm i'm curious because last time we spoke you were talking about how you were making certain coding APIs to using your Notion kind of workflow and all that kind of stuff. So what I'm curious about is what are you using at the moment to build Siren? Because from the sounds of it, it's just you and your friend who are building this. And I'm assuming neither of you have a a completely technical background per se. So are you using like no code tools or are you using like, you know, raw code? Back in the day, I would always like refuse to use no code tools. I just like try to make stuff myself. Uh, Funnily enough, uh, we're not actually used a no code tool, for, like no code tool for the website because we were just like, let's just get this done. Let's just do this simply. You know, a lot, a lot of focus to just like, let's just simplify stuff, keep it simple. We can always make it better. So for the like website and all that, like, yeah, uh, when it comes to the AI itself, like I still have enough of experience with programming and all that so that I can, uh, you know, you take the GPT API or some of the other ones because we're considering a few other ones as well and just integrate that and set it up the way you want to. So there isn't as much development that really need, like software development that needs to be done here as with, uh, for example, there was with FAIR. Mm. So I'm just handling a lot of that. But yes, for like the smaller, simple, like I don't want to say simpler things, but for the not the actual product itself things, yeah, we're actually starting like starting to use a lot more no-code tools, which to be fair, the monthly subscriptions on that make me cry. <laughs> really but, how much yeah. are they I, i'm not too sure because a lot of i've had one guy who builds complete apps on there and he made it sound like it was you know cheaper and more affordable than a developer but you're making it sound like it's like it's, oh, it's definitely, definitely cheaper. cheaper than a developer yeah that, that's but it still sure. hurts <laughs> yeah it's it still hurts to see because it's like you, you know you, you go from like oh we build everything ourselves so it's like there's an upfront cost but then it's just whatever we need to build on is the cost. Hmm. But now it's like, oh, it's twelve ninety nine for this, seven ninety nine for this, thirty nine ninety nine for this, forty two ninety nine for this. And then like you look at it and you're like, 
spending 200 a month on this. And right now yeah. I don't have the income to be like, yeah, whatever, 10 grand a month, that's cheap. Yeah. Like it makes a difference. To, like I was doing the, oh, cause I, I actually started a second thing uh, more recently as well alongside it. It's just a small thing, yeah. but for it, we need to pay some stuff as well. So I, I just took like a sheet of paper. I was counting out all the different like, uh, you know, no code tools and like other SaaS tools that you can just pay for mm. uh, on the monthly basis. And I was like, Damn, that's that's starting to add up. I need to be a little bit more careful with just starting to use them. Because even like Google Workspace, like yeah, yeah. it's five bucks a month. Yeah. But then you have three emails because you have one for yourself, one for the other person, one for a contact. Yeah. And all these things like slowly add up. And then you're like, this is actually a lot. Yeah. Sometimes you look at that that annual option, you go, oh, that's cheap. I get two months for free. But you're like, wait, if I spend the annual option now and then, you know, five, six months from now, I decide I don't really need this anymore. I don't want it. I'm still locked in. And then you go, but what about if next year my cash flow ain't looking right and I could have afforded the monthly, but now the annual's due and then it's like, can't change. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh gosh, all these thoughts about cash flow. I think that's something as a young entrepreneur, I've definitely learned It's like, Managing your cash flow and having that, you know, what I call like without these expenses going up, the business can't run. Those expenses need to be down pat and you need to be like, right, every bit of money that comes in, make sure we keep adding to that stockpile, adding to that stockpile. And it's like, okay, what what can I get rid of versus what is nice to have? And I've been finding a lot personally there's so many things on like AppSumo that I want to buy to use. And I'm like, oh, but you know, $50 right now. Do I really want to spend $50 right now? I know we're talking like, you know, small numbers in comparison to what other people spend, but it's like, okay, I can buy something on AppSumo and I have a lifetime plan, but like, what's the promise that this product is going to be usable in a year from now? Should I just sign up for a monthly subscription? I'm like, I'm in this weird state now where I'm like, okay, anything I buy on AppSumo, it has to be like, that much different that it should work or should get acquired and i just get grandfathered into a, a plan or a company through this you know what i mean for a good price because like you said those monthly subscriptions add up and like you said before you know you're spending two three hundred dollars a month and you're only really making like two three hundred dollars a month it's like well, what, yeah. what am i doing right now type thing yeah i think with it like when it comes to like the annual subscription plans I like I I look at it like this is a twenty percent discount, thirty percent. That's not enough, right? Because yeah. right now, when the you know money we're putting in total that I can afford being like three hundred, maybe best case four hundred a month uh, mm. between the two of us, right? If we pay for that upfront, okay, I technically can put that money together and pay for that. We can't use any of that money to generate more cash flow. Mm. And and let, like and let, until you reach a point where it's like this is literally insignificant money, mm. like the whole cost. At which point, sure, let's do it annually. But for the for the for the periods where it's like okay, this would be a notable saving, so mm -hmm. it would make a difference. In those cases, I feel like, well, then I don't have enough cash flow to cover this anyway. Because if I use that cash for this, I'm locking it in. Mm. Right? It's like any business, right? You need money to kind of you you know. You take more money in and you can that lets you put more money out into like marketing or whatever customer acquisition route you use or, or the product and then that brings you more people and that's you know how kind of businesses rotate out and scale. That's why like venture works, right? Yeah. So by paying for an annual plan, you're kind of locking that money in. So until mm. you're at the point where it's like, this makes no difference, let's just buy the more expensive one so we don't have to think about the payments. Because I feel like uh, I, this is something I actually spoke to my parents not that long ago because they were looking for a new accounting team. Mm. And they're like, well, the biggest difference for us is not how much an individual item costs, but when things are cheap, it costs more to have 12 items on the, uh, have the accountants handle 12 items because accountants charge per, you know, per, per item uh, for them. So there it's better to pay annually because that's one item. Mm. And they save more just by the accountants not dealing with 12 items as yeah. opposed to the savings from the company. And there mm. I'm like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. You just go annual. It just simplifies all your transactions. When you have a lot of these, you know, it's like, right, like even with Siren right now, we have like five or six different ones. Mm. So five times 12 or just five, that starts to make a difference if, yeah. for the, you know, for accounting. But mm. so there, you know, oh, also I get a little bit of savings. Great. But that's where I feel like it starts to make sense to go annual because there your savings are start to be quite notable. Yeah. And you mentioned something about, you know, customer acquisition routes. And that's, this is something I always like to ask people that are, you know, 
at that kind of starting point where are you finding customers how are you finding them you know what's the kind of strategy that you're applying right now you know who's the ideal customer for this so right now uh we have kind of two routes of uh, customers that we're exploring one that we kind of initially discussed which i quite like because i feel like it really fits in well is people who run like online stores so you know mm. like some shopify store anything else and they don't have you know they have like decent revenue and they spend some money on customer support because you know when, once they're doing somewhat well uh you obviously need to have people to handle all those requests and for us you know if we integrate uh, that with them it lets them have like one or two less people to handle a lot of the more kind of boring simple requests that you that you end up getting as stores mm -hmm. and that savings of one or two people well covers whatever cost we would be charging i think there it fits in really well for them uh, mm -hmm. but also uh because uh, my co-founder uh, on this he mentioned it uh to actually a family friend who works for a bank and she was like, wait, this is really interesting. We would love to have something like this. So we've actually been talking with them to yeah. be like, maybe, you know, you never know. So we're, we're kind of split on like, this was the it, it, like aim target because it just fits in so well there. Yeah. And then it just happened. There seems to be some interest. So we're, you know, trying to explore that too. But mainly I feel like right now it is for the, just if you have an online store or something like that, because it just makes so much sense because you just reduce the load on your team or you can reduce the size of your team so it's literally like direct savings it's not like in the future we'll pay off no it's like you could see it switch yeah that makes perfect sense and you know in the idea of you know plugging things in and you know having little small little add-ins to things what, what is this other small little business that you've got going on what, what's that is that like a passion thing or is it like something that you're kind of like low-key hoping will pop off but right now you're focused on siren it's it's kind of literally just for fun. It's, I don't I wouldn't even call it like a business. It's like a little venture. Yeah. Uh, that thing is basically because uh, with my degree uh, in this final term, there's a module called commercializing innovation. Right. And the final assignment for that module is basically during the whole module, we're supposed to work with a group mm -hmm. and come up with a business and write up a business plan. Right. And then that's the final submission. Mm -hmm. So I was, because with Siren, when I was trying to figure out some bits about like marketing and things, I was just using chat GPT just to like, just cause it's very good for brainstorming quick yeah. uh, bits of text. And I was like, I wonder if I could get this to write a whole business plan. So I yeah. tried it and you know, you have to give it some guidance. It's not like, Ooh, write me a business plan. We'll do it. But if yeah. you give it guidance and you give it some feedback on how to structure properly, it did it. Mm. And, uh, so uh, the person I'm doing this with because I feel like I always have someone doing a business with me because it's just better if you have someone around there as well yeah uh, he, was, he had an idea well why don't we build this why don't we have basically an AI tool which just builds an entire business plan mm. and that can just basically do the entire module for pe for anyone yeah so I, so I ended up uh, talking with the class because there's uh, oh yeah you're in the UK so you know how there's like the university strikes going on right now how a lot of yeah so uh, because of that, this, since this module was on Thursdays and every single strike for like two months is was <laughs> and is going to be on Thursdays, yeah. I ended up teaching the module because okay. the, the, the lecturer was like, hey, there is, you're gonna, you guys are going to miss 80% of the class due yeah. to the strikes. Mm. So I was like, hey, you know, whatever. And then I ended up teaching it. So during it, I just mentioned like, hey, by the way, building this. So if you want to just do minimal amount of work, you can just do it this way in like an hour. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, cool, let's build it. So that's what we're kind of building there. Yeah, so you're really kind of like heavily reliant on ChatGPT, as am I actually. Right now, ChatGPT is making so many things so much easier for me. Like the, the last, what, two months, I haven't written any of the intros for this podcast. Normally I'd have to sit down and think, how can I word this properly? I'd be like, look, here's a paragraph about this person. Here's all the information. Here's a link to their website. Summarize this, summarizes it. And I go, right, start with their name, introduce their business, write a nice paragraph, and then say, in this episode, you will learn. And obviously, I'm giving away the secret source here to the listener. But it, it saves me so much time. I used to spend about half an hour, or maybe even an hour, writing this thing, and then an another five, 10 minutes recording it. Now, I literally spend five, 10 minutes feeding chat G GPT what it needs, another five minutes recording it. And, you know, it's 15 minutes now. And it makes it so much quicker and so much easier. And people are saying, oh, AI is going to take your job. ChatGPT is going to take your job. I'm like, that is not the case at all. It's just we'll be able to do higher quality work faster with AI doing all the kind of low level thinking, which is like, 
I only see benefits there. I don't see the whole doom and gloom side of it that people are trying to, you know, sell right now. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Like, I, I've had ex- access to GPT for a long time. Mm. So I'm kind of annoyed with myself that I didn't used to use it more. Because mm. I used to, like, I remember messing around with it. Like, there was one time where I hooked up GPT uh, to WhatsApp. Mm. And I, like, I told my friend, hey, you could speak with a robot, like, with an AI. Yeah. And I just like let it go, but I like added a little note, like slowly pretend to turn evil. It was the funniest thing that happened. Because uh, imagine like Chat GPT in WhatsApp, but when people didn't know Chat GPT was a thing or like AI was this good. Yeah. So she kind of got freaked out as like she talked to it for a few hours and suddenly started being like kill our people and all this. It was really funny. But like I've been messing out with these tools and like Chat GPT has, I feel like, changed it a lot, even though I feel like I've had access to these tools because it's, reshare point where it's like well now it's so convenient i don't need to go into it and set anything up it's just like just be like hey do this do this do this i need this and it just does it very simply so like the user experience of chat gpt has really really changed it and i don't think it's going to take away jobs as more just make it more efficient although i do feel like you know if i say more efficient like if now five people can do the job of seven people like yeah technically it's getting rid of your jobs so i suppose in in, in a way you can say yes it is but not in the sense of that it literally fully replaces people yeah i mean the way i see it benefiting me and this might be a tool that i actually build in the near distant future is summarize this newsletter give me this newsletter that's you know going to take me 3 minutes to read give me like a 1 minute summary and maybe I'll go read it if that has interested me or, you know, reply to these emails and sort out this that, stuff like that already exists. You know, tools like that, that AI scheduling tools, you just tag them in and people think that's like your assistant. But for me, the way I see it, it's like it's going to be a plug in to, to my life and, and to my time. You know, I'll be like, I need to message Alison to book in a new podcast, chat with him. And, you know, whether or not it's you on the other end or your AI, it, it will go, oh, OK, you've done a podcast with him twice now. OK, so you clearly know each other already. Would you like to do a third podcast? Yes, I would. I'm free this day. Okay, great. And they do all the talking. And then we, we meet up together. We go, hey, you know, let's catch up. And that's how it goes. It becomes, I feel like it sounds backwards, but the more AI is integrated into the working world and into like the digital world, the more human connections can become when, when you do come across another human, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad to agree. I'm not sure like chat GPT is what could no serve in that role because it's a yeah. language model so yeah. it can't like it won't know like oh you had three meetings that like you can i guess you could feed it data sets but yeah it's thanks time but yeah well I, I think we'll definitely get there at some point where it is going to be able to facilitate this and it is going to be incredibly convenient because like if you talk to people who have big businesses right mm. and making a lot of money and they have like executive assistants and personal assistants and all the other four kinds of assistants that for some reason all of them one person needs you notice like the handle account they handle this handle that handle that and that person just meets with people talks with them and does the a lot of the work ends up being the human interaction side like if you look at yeah. like jokes about like this is the ceo's calendar all they do is just talk with people yeah it's like yeah, that's, the, you know, it's, that's what ends up being. And whether it's your exec, you know, your team of assistants that does it or your one assistant or an AI, ultimately, right, it, it does end up being a lot more of a kind of human connection. So I guess, yeah, I would agree with you. Yeah. And I have to ask this because you're back doing it. And when we first spoke, you were kind of struggling, you know, to keep your business running and do the degree. How are you finding the degree? Because a lot of people want to drop out, you know, because that's the that's the success story, isn't it? Oh, I dropped out of uni and I did this and that. But you're like, no, I'm going to go back and finish this. I'm wondering, are you now like inspired to like maybe do a master's or a PhD? You're like, I'm going to finish the degree. And then from there, I'm going to be living free and just focus all my energy into my businesses. So I think it depends on if you ask in like short term or long term. Because when it comes to my degree, right, I never chose physics because I was like, I want to work in physics. Right. I was like, I want to study physics because it's really fun. I really like the field and I can leave for computer science. I can leave for finance. I can leave for any of these other areas that really interest me quite easily. Yeah. And like that was basically why I chose physics. Like the main reason was it's fun. I enjoy mm. it, which is also like why I came back because I was like, I kind of miss physics. I want to do this. Right. Uh, to be fair, like right this second, if I could choose between like just be done with a degree today or like continue with the degree for a while longer i would rather be done with it today mm. but not in the sense of drop out uh because i do want to at some point in the future do a phd uh in right. physics because physics is like a hobby i keep coming back it sounds weird to say it about like 
physics, like something that people are like, oh, it's hard and scary. But to me, like going back to physics, it's kind of a hobby and I want to have the chance to come back to it again when I do a PhD or something. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of a big part of why I'm like, yeah, I'll finish this degree so I can come back to it again because it is fun. Sometimes in the moment when you've got a ton of other stuff, you're like, okay, I, I, I just want to focus on this other stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, that's part of the entrepreneur bug, isn't it? You have this itch for learning and whatever it is you're interested in learning about can either become your business or it can just become, you know, a very kind of time-consuming hobby. Like my my main kind of focus and what I love learning about is, you know, the stories of businesses and how things were built and what people's routines are like. And it's not stuff that I'm always like, right, okay, he wakes up at seven in the morning and goes for a run and then does this. And, and I go, oh, I'm going to do that. But I just like to, it, it's an odd thing to say. I just like to kind of know. I'm just a bit of like a, a fly on the wall type nosy person. So yeah, I, I completely hear what you're saying about, you know what, I'm just doing this physics thing right now because I know in the future I might want to do a PhD. Doesn't mean I want to do a PhD you know, to have the doctorate, it's like, I, I want to just do like paid research on something that I find very interesting, which I, I kind of agree with. Cause I was thinking uh, last year, I was like, you know what, should I do a master's and PhD blended course? So I can like do the projects I I'm delaying cause they don't make money, but for money, if that makes sense, not loads yeah. of money, but like paid research. I'm like, I don't know if I'm, yeah. if I'm the, cut out for that. The thing with physics is like, I think I could make as much money as I want. I don't get to do physics research, right? Cause it's not something that's like accessible with, oh, if you have enough money, you can go do it, which is yeah. like my main reason for doing a PhD is like, how am I going to, you know, I don't know. Let's say if I decide I want to do a PhD in particle physics, yeah. I can't just build CERN myself, even if I'm like the richest man in the world. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's kind of the aspect of it I'm looking at. I was like, oh, if it's like un unpaid or paid, I mean, like I can say, well, eventually I can, in theory, make enough money to do it unpaid. Yeah. But with physics, there's stuff that I look at that it needs because I'm quite interested in uh, specific parts of solid state and condensed matter where to do it, either I'm just doing the math, which I really like because I probably would end up doing parts of that. Yeah. But if I end up doing any of the kind of experimental stuff, the experimental equipment costs more than I could ever dream of affording, however much money I end up making. So that's why I look at it. It's like the PhD is the salary, cool. Like, I can I can argue I can make enough money, yeah. uh, so I don't I can just make be paid nothing during it. But the resources I can't access any other way. Yeah, and so I'm I'm wondering you're quite young. How old are you? Twenty two now. Twenty two now. Yeah. Yeah. So you're you're really really young. I know you might not feel young because you feel like you've lived a thousand lifetimes, but I, I'm wondering for you, it's like okay, is this like the you know the five year plan that you might try the PhD, or is it like? You know, I'm just kind of living month to month, week to week, every six months type vibes now. So I'm I'm a little bit weird that like I make long-term plans for, and they are like for like, I have a plan for like one year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 100, like okay, not 100, but 50 <laughs> years, let's say. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, I don't make it a plan of like, I'm going to do this, 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 this. Mm. It's more, I want to get, I want to at some point be able to do this. Yeah. So this is like the branch of different things. And if this happens, then I have this structure. Yeah. It's not like I have like written out, but it's like, I think about it. So I have a rough idea of like, well, probably, you know, around the time, you know, late twenties, early thirties, I might do a PhD then might do it a little bit later, depending on how businesses are. So it's like a somewhat kind of free floating plan that I do kind of think about. So if there are decisions I can make right now to make sure those options are available, I'll make them. Mm. But it's not like, yes, this, when, this, then, this, then, that. But I feel like it's still kind of a plan. So Yeah. Well, I mean, if you have a plan, it means you've got, you know, at least like some kind of direction. I feel like a lot of people out there, they just have no direction. They just are like living day to day and they go, well, I'm working in this job. If I lose this job, then I get another job. And, you know, there's no real theme or kind of, di you know, like I said, direction. But at least for you, you have some kind of focus, which is a good place to be in. But I know you're obviously doing your degree, so you do a lot of learning there, but I'm wondering, do you do any like educational slash, you know, self-learning stuff in your free time that you probably don't have much of? Uh, actually, yeah. Uh, so one thing with the person that I'm starting uh, working on Siren with, because uh, he doesn't have, like he has a like economics and finance uh, degree. I think he's doing a master's in finance. Yeah, master's in finance. So he has like the like quantitative side of business down, but he doesn't have like real experience with like business business. Right. So I I, I was like encouraging like, hey, yeah, we you do some books. Here's some stuff to read. Mm. And then uh, he was falling a little bit behind on it. So I was like, you know, what? fuck this. I'm reading the same the same book every week with you because mm. for me it's a refresher. Some of them are actually new, so it's very useful. And we're doing this so mm. just to kind of 
you know, because it felt weird being like, read a book a week of this when yeah. we're working on this together. So like, I'll read one with you. So yeah. I've been like reading those. And then just generally, there's always like some area of interest that I need, like feel like I need to learn about. Uh, one that's been there for a long time, I feel like it's just like aspects of like marketing and like uh, brand building. Yeah. I just feel like that's a weakness for me. And so I try to learn about it, be it through reading, be it through, you know, watching something on YouTube where it's like explaining, like even if things are like explaining something very specific that I'm not even close to using, mm. I often find some interesting takeaways like, oh, it's talking about how do you, how to structure YouTube short monetization. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I, I'm not going to have YouTube short monetization, but it mentions that when you have these accounts, you're, you have the, you know, these and these limitations. Yeah. And then I, when I think about it, I'm like, Oh, but so this means that what I have to aim for is do, you know, use hashtags in a very specific, sorry, not hashtags, tags, even on YouTube shorts in a specific way because the algorithm doesn't have the same discovery. Yeah. Which I haven't watched a video, like I haven't seen a YouTube video on like the YouTube shorts algorithm, mm -hmm. but from that video, they ended up watching about monetization. Yeah. It, they kind of mentioned this just randomly. I was like, see, now that is something that I found quite useful. So I do have like, the marketing and branding where I do super niche things that I try to read about and like general things. And then I just have like the business books in this that I try to read. And also like, cause for my degree, right? It's my last year. So I'm doing a dissertation. So mm -hmm. like the pulp project thing. Yeah. So I'm reading a lot of research papers for that. Yeah. What, what are the books that you were suggesting that your co-founder reads? Because, you know, if you're oh, reading them and you're finding them like, you know, working for you and being successful, you might as well share them with the listener. Sure. It's a long list. Uh, and some of them aren't really like business business, but they're more kind of like related to certain concepts or certain things. One book that like really surprised me because I had someone recommend it to me a long, like a, not that long time, but like a while back. And then I saw Ali Abdal again recommend it. And I was like, this title of a book sounds like a fucking scam. Yeah. This sounds like a trashy book called like Millionaire Fast Lane. Oh God, I was, I'm avoiding I that like the, like, expectations like the plague, possible. man. I don't want to read that book, but you're telling me it's the one. But I read it and I was like, if you don't have, like if you don't have a background in business and think about this, it like the first part of it talks a lot about like mindset and how to think about it and that. Which yeah. I'd say, yeah, you know, for a lot of people it might be useful. But the second half of it, I was like, this is exactly what I wanted him to read. Because he had like some months like think about it. He was like, yeah, I'm interested in business. I'm interested in doing this. But second half was like, oh, this bit about business, you should know that there's LLCs, LPs, structured partnerships, that, by the way, simplest thing, just LLC there. It's like little bits of knowledge, which if yeah. I'm talking to someone, I'll be like, oh, yeah, it's obvious. I don't need to mention this. Yeah. It just kind of goes through them and like, oh, you know, this is how you do acquisitions. You can sell the company this way. And it kind of mentions them in a very non like, oh, I'm reading a textbook and how to do the, all these things, but in a very like, contextual ways mm. and i found that it was like shit this is like really good it sounds like a scam for the title yeah it's so bad it's like how to crack like millionaire fast lane cracking the code to wealth and living rich yeah how is that a good book yeah but shockingly it actually was really good okay. so i was very impressed by that uh, so i've been actually trying to recommend that to people and then there's like a bunch more if you want i can like send you the list uh, that I've been sending him. Uh, I think so far we went through like 12. You could send me the list, but you could also and tell then, me a few of them now if, if there's any that uh, stick out to you in sure. your, in your mind because I've read so many list. different business books and it's like, it's always interesting to see what other people have kind of like read and gone, oh, this has actually really helped me, in, you know, in my entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. I think one that's quite useful, uh, I, I, I feel like probably not as many people might like it as I did, but like The Taking of Getty Oil uh, by Coyle. Okay. It's basically about how uh, Getio ended up uh, having all the issues in the boardroom and the acquisitions of it and all the issues there. It's a very like big business perspective of what's going on internally. Yeah. But there are aspects of it where it gives you understanding of, you know, if you're interested in finance or, uh, you know, investing and things like that, and you want to understand some parts of how it works in the boardroom and how some of these issues happen and how you have massive businesses end up failing and struggling through different things. It was I would say it's a very good a book for that. And it does give you some insights if you're like looking into like, eventually I want to build this into a massive business. You might be thinking about like, oh, we're taking on investment, which means somebody's going to be a board member. Do I want them to be a board member? And it, it just highlights things you might not think about. Uh, 
but it is mainly about the story of Gete Oil, which is still an interesting story. But there are like bits here and there that I don't think you would normally come across if you're just, you know, trying to learn about some of these things. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else is here. Uh, oh, yeah, this one's quite good. Uh, Startup Land uh, by Swain. Okay. Uh, it's about how he actually I don't remember what company Swain built, but it's one. It's actually happens to be a customer support one. Mm. Uh, Zendesk, right? That's his company. I have no so, clue. I know I Zendesk. Zendesk. I didn't know the founder, but yeah. I think it's Swain. I'm okay. not sure. Maybe I mixed it up. But basically, it's how uh, he and uh, the people that worked with him took Zendesk from because they they used to be based out of Europe. Right. Uh, well, Swain's company. I'm not going to you say Zendesk because I'm not sure. Maybe I'm mixing it up. Yeah. Uh, Swain's company. We started Europe and then ended up going to like raising funding in the U.S. and how that whole process went. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is, I feel like, some like a perspective of a lot of founders I talk to in Europe that's quite different to the U.S. and it highlights like certain things of like different approaches and things like that. But also talks about like some of the struggle, which I feel like a lot of founders will know because like yeah, this is like you you have to go through this, but there are aspects of it where like how he talked about it with his wife or some of the, you know, how he thought about that. Cause it was early days and he was going through this while having those responsibilities that I feel like if I was in that position, I'd probably struggle with it. And I would, I might find this useful. I don't have kids. I don't have a wife. So I don't know. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but it felt like, you know, that could be quite useful. Uh, and that's something that people I feel like don't think about as much. So those, the, if I had to pick three out, I'd put those, uh, there's a, ton more here but those those three stand out yeah i mean it's good to be constantly learning and i haven't read any of those three books so now i'm thinking right go add those to my list and that is a, a recent question i've been asking a lot of guests like especially if someone comes on the onto the the, the podcast like i can see behind them, they've got a massive bookshelf I'm like what books are you reading like tell me you know what i mean and some guy was like oh i read mostly fiction i was like okay i don't think i'm gonna join you there but like if you've got any non-fiction back there let me know type thing but there's, I to think, be fair yeah i was very surprised with fiction sometimes because there are like there, there's some aspects of it where you're like, okay, this is actually very useful uh, to read because you know you're not reading it to strictly learn from it in the oh I'm studying something way. Yeah. But I've had a f- you know I've had a few people over time be like, hey, you need to read more fiction. It's a good thing you can learn and take take away from it. Yeah. Uh, in you know some like interpersonal stuff, other things. It's just it's it it, it can be more useful of a mix up than I thought. I'm still like heavily mainly reading nonfiction. Yeah. I don't think that will change anytime soon. But I was surprised by like, yeah, okay. I've been convinced to have like one or two nonfiction books in the mix of, you know, let's say every few months. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying my best. I'm trying my best to read no, uh, fiction books, but nonfiction's just got me. Like, cause I'm like, this is happening or this is factual. You know, it really piques my interest. But yeah. you're right. That's exactly what people said to me, that it can change your worldview and changing your worldview is a very powerful thing. You know, it's something that you should apparently strive to do more often than not is, you know, learn new things that make you see the world differently. And uh, yeah, I'm wondering for you, you know, you've been through a lot in the last 18 months since we spoke what has changed in your world view not you know it doesn't have to be business related it can just be life related but i'm just curious what has changed in your world view at the moment uh it's a difficult question let me try to think because like there, there are bits around business but it's not really like a world view thing uh i think there's a there's an aspect of like uh an approach to I guess I don't want to say the word money, but kind kind of money in a way where I, I looked at uh, kind of simple things. Cause like, I feel like living in Europe and having the experience I had, I was always like, yeah, I'll get a bunch of passports, do a lot of these things. Uh, Cause it's just useful to have. Right. Mm. Uh, but I looked at it as like, yeah, I can buy a U.S. passport for a million dollars. I can buy a Canadian one for, I think two fifty. You can buy all these different ones, which are like powerful passports. They're not like yeah. small ones. And I don't have to like go live there for a long time, whatever, because I, f- I always find the concept of that kind of annoying. Uh, but then when I was looking at like uh, taking those and doing that in, you know, outside of uh, kind of a lot of Western countries, I was like, yeah, maybe get like one from there and then kind of be done with it. But I'm more starting to think is like, let's let you know, take take the approach of like, yeah, get the passports, have that money and whatever, but try to try to live there for a bit, right? Like spend a little bit of time living in Dubai, spend a little bit of time 
living in Singapore and these areas. Because I generally travel a lot and I would move around a lot, like Czech Republic, UK, Canada, all these places. I'd probably end up, you know, uh, doing that a lot. But the kind of home base, I always thought about like, yeah, it's probably for the first 40, 50 years, it's going to be somewhere in Europe. And then for the next 40, 50 years, it's going to be in Texas. Because mm. part of me just wants to retire in Texas. I can't really explain to you why, but I just want to. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I, spent, I spent like six to nine months there when I was younger and I just want to go back. It's just like it. Yeah. Uh, but, and there was the, like, that's the home base. And then, yeah, you can spend three months there, six months there, that month there. But now I'm starting to think about it more like I, you can make the money anywhere, right? It's, yeah. it's shifting. Cause when I was younger, like I made more, the most of the money I made was like fixed tied to a location. I couldn't just go wherever, yeah. but with fair, with siren, with all this stuff, like so much of it, is just I can be any I can be anywhere. Yeah. So let's go live in some places for like a year or two. Yeah. Or even like have it split. Like for three years, I spend winter here, summer here, and spring and autumn here. Yeah. Which I, I, I don't know. Now that I'm explaining it, it sounds like a very like dumb difference. Yeah. But just to me, it was big because I was like, that's always the home base. But now it's like, yeah, oh, you can do this, do this, add in the passports, and then. Yeah, I don't know. I just it, I feel like I did the worst possible job explaining this. No, no, it makes sense. You want to you want to kind of see the world and live in different places. I'm not sure why or what it is, but you know you'll figure it out when you get there. And if you don't like it, you can always go back to where you was before. I think that's something that a lot of people are struggling with at the moment is they are stuck in one place. And you know previously it used to be people never used to leave their hometown, and now everybody can see you know on their phones they can see anywhere in the world they want to see. And that's opening up people's worldview that people are going, you know, oh, maybe I want to go live in Africa. Maybe I want to live in Asia. And, you know, people from those countries, instead of like glorifying the West and going, oh, I want to go to America. I want to go, you know, live in the UK. They're actually going, huh, what about the rest of Europe? Like, there's a, there's a big push at the moment for people moving out to the Netherlands, people moving to Dublin. And I'm like, this is amazing. And in my head, I always thought, oh, no, there's only really like a handful of places that are worth living in and going to but when you you know weigh up the costs versus the kind of you know i guess the benefits you know some places are pretty good like okay salaries might be lower but the cost of living is like 10 times cheaper than anywhere else in the world Do you know what i mean it's like yeah what what can you really you know complain about if you're living for really cheap yeah that definitely i think there's there, there's a part of it for me because like you know i grew up in eastern europe and i am you know from eastern europe so i'm quite used to how that is so to me like oh yeah i'm going to some random place in eastern europe yeah has been oh that's like the norm but when i was uh like being here in the uk for uni because i have mostly been living actually if i travel too much but if i haven't been trying so much i would have mostly been living here like how to talk to people there is a perspective of like oh eastern europe is like yeah you know go to netherlands go to france go to germany but yeah no reason to go to eastern europe and the people you end up seeing going to eastern europe end up being like you know, very, uh, very much like, okay, I have a very strong reason to not be in the UK anymore or <laughs> other countries. Yeah. So, you know, with that, it kind of got me thinking like, I, I like it there, right? Like I like Czech Republic and so there, there's stuff around like how our laws work and how some of the court systems work where it's, you know, not the bribery, fuck that. Yeah. Uh, but the, uh, for example, the, the, the way, our, like during COVID, uh, I'll just give you an example. Yeah. When when that was all starting and like countries were starting to lock down, yeah. uh, Czech Republic, like the government, also like after a while they got convinced to pass the lockdowns, and the courts next day struck it down. Unacceptable, yeah. you can't lock down. Yeah. Do you know why they struck it down? No clue. Because they didn't include an exemption for gun stores. Oh, of course you hey, need to you need to go get your you guns. Need to, you need to get your guns. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and it's like, yeah, you know, like if you don't care about guns, then you're like, whatever. But there's an aspect of it when I like look at some Supreme Court rulings or some other things where I'm like, UK, right? A lot, a lot of like the way, the way UK law works where you have in your laws, you have the right to bear arms, literally explicitly the same way the US has it. Yeah. Meanwhile, you can't even buy like a gun without like a ton of paperwork and permits and all that stuff that it took. Yeah. So... Czech Republic, I feel like we really are hard on like this is your right and we will kind of push through it and yeah we will absolutely overwrite it like there'll be senate hearings and overwrite the entire law and remove it because yeah. we don't have like something you could never change mm -hmm. but the courts are still very hard on what we say is a right we will preserve that yeah and 
I feel like that's starting to kind of miss out a lot more in some of the Western countries. I kind of, that's making me think more like, yeah, Czech Republic, maybe, you know, because I was younger, I was like, yeah, let's just travel around, mess around with them. I'm like, yeah, you know, let's go a bit more east, go somewhere there and then go back. Right. Cause it's not like, you know, I'm saying like Western Europe is horrible, but there's like little things about like courts and these things that I'm like, it's a little bit more appealing. Yeah. So you kind of see yourself, you know, wanting to have the lifestyle that comes with the Western world be like, ah, there's parts of it that just don't sit right with me. You know, not specifically gun laws and stuff like that, but just other parts of it. You're just like, this is just not how I want to live my life. Yeah, it's, I'm not sure, like, not not one of my life, because it's, I don't have, like, because, you know, a lot of people have issues with, like, ooh, the culture war and all that. Yeah. To me, I don't really care. Yeah. Uh, like, that's not, like, a big thing for me. But there's the procedural parts, which I find really weird. Like, in the UK, for example, I was, I've been dealing with the NHS, and I, I went to go see my GP. Yeah. Yes, it's government-funded, right, yeah. which is fair, uh, but it takes two weeks. Yeah. The earliest appointment is in two weeks to go see my GP. In Czech Republic, or in the case, let's not take Czech Republic, because I'm using it as an example. In Germany, right, yeah. also free healthcare, all of it's covered by the government, but you get to see your GP the next day. Yeah. Uh, France, same thing. Like there's, the, or, like, there's these different bits and aspects of, uh, like, procedural things and how they work, which is just very convenient, which I, like, living, for example, in the UK or, like, uh, things like that has always like contrasted it more. And I'm sure if I move to another country, I'll notice other things. And I, there's plenty of stuff in Czech Republic, which I was like, I don't really like this bit, this bit. So I living here, you notice these procedural parts where I'm like, ah, let's find a country which has this, 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 and try to group it together to eventually live in this ideal place. Nice. <laughs> nice. We'll, we'll see Al- if I can find it. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Alison, we're going to use this podcast as a sort of time capsule, you know, that we'll look back on in five years time, 10 years time or whatever. But what I want to know is for you, you know, a year from now, let's say, so, you know, February 2024, what are you hoping to have achieved? What are you hoping to come back and tell the listeners in 2024 that you've done? So I want Siren to have uh, cash flowed uh, so I can have basically some money in there to go use it to other businesses, potentially, you know, scale uh, Siren into more of the venture side of it. Uh, Always want to have my degree done. But I think there were, I know I keep, like for, for me, I keep setting this to myself, like this is a guy to get better at and I get a little bit better at it, but I still look forward at it. I want to reach a point where I'm like, when I talk to people about branding and marketing, I don't feel stupid because I've been trying to learn about it for so long. Like it's been years at this point and I always still feel like I have no clue what I'm talking about if I try to talk about it. And I, yeah, I, I just want to reach that point. So I, I'm saying this now as my public goal that I want to get better at that to a point where I don't feel stupid whenever I talk about it. Where can the people find you online, you know, to keep track of you and your goals or just to know what you're up to? So, Alison Mahmood, if you Google me, you can find whatever profiles or anything like LinkedIn, wherever that gets posted. Uh, and then what we're doing with Siren, uh, if you go to Siren, so S-Y-R-E-N, support.com. Thank you for listening to People Explained. New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend. 